Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. It's good to see you all in the room. We are in our second week, as Matt said, of our miracle series, looking at the book of John and specifically the miracles that Jesus performed and what they tell us about him, who he is. And then, there's another step, what that means about who we are, how we're supposed to live out our lives as followers of him. Makes sense, right? And so we started last week uh, talking about his first miracle of turning water into wine. If you haven't heard that yet, I'd encourage you to go check that out. Um, any week, if you're like, man, I want, to, I want to hear more about this topic, we put out a podcast called The Extended Cut, where we dive in a little more to some of the details. And I know some people are like, well, you didn't really go into this, Pastor. And it's like, yeah, because you don't want to be here for two hours, and I love you too much for that. But you can catch some of that stuff in The Extended Cut. And so um, this week, we're going to be in John chapter 5. But I want to start out just kind of helping us get in the, the headspace for this. Um, have you guys ever, we got some movie people in here, right? I know Chris Rogers, um, some movie people. Have you ever watched a movie where it begins with like a short scene of present day, but then goes back in time and starts to kind of unfold the story as it continues? And you continue as you're seeing this unfold to look back at that opening scene and it kind of informs a lot of times at least your emotions of how you see this story unfold because you've, you've had this glimpse or this detail that was important in understanding the movie as it went along. One of my favorite movies, and one that actually does this, is the movie Saving Private Ryan. Has anybody seen that? Okay, I'm getting of the age where like, I reference movies that were really important to me, and people are like, never heard of it. And so um, I'm coaching a basketball team right now, and I'm like, yeah, like Michael Jordan. And they're like, who? I'm like, oh, Lord help us. That's why God always told the Israelites, remember. Like, you got to remember the greatness that was before you. Um, anyway, Saving Private Ryan's where we were at. So it, it begins with this scene of this old man walking down this path alongside of like this, this government or military cemetery. And behind him are his son, his son's wife and kids who are adult age kids and his wife. And it, it, it asks a couple questions as this is happening because this man's walking, yet his family's separate from him. They're giving him his space for this experience, whatever is happening. And you see the, the son pull out this camera and he takes a picture of like his dad walking through the cemetery. And so it starts to get your mind stirring like, man, what must have went on that this moment is such a big deal? He's clearly emotional. He's in the later years of his life, so he's not out for a jog. He's not training for a marathon. He's, you can tell, like, this is later in his life, and he's giving the effort to go see whatever he is seeking out. And then he takes a turn, and he starts walking through all of these headstones, clearly looking for something or someone in particular. And then he sees what he's looking for, and he falls to his knees, consumed with emotion. And then his family rushes up, like, oh, you okay? And it's like, oh, finally I'm going to know what's happening here. And then the camera just zooms into his eyes, right? And you're like, oh, this is intense. And then the soundtrack of the movie changes from this moment of sobbing and are you okay to ocean waves hitting a shore. And then the scene changes and it's the beaches of Normandy. And you're like, oh, here's, here we go. Now we get to go back and see where all this pain and emotion and formation in his life that culminated in this moment came from. 
Because who this man is now was clearly shaped by, impacted by, where the movie is now going to take us. So much so that the storyteller finds it imperative to give us that glimpse before seeing the story, right? Like, it must be important if we need this to really appreciate the rest of it and the gravity of it as it unfolds in front of our eyes. We learn later that this, this man's life was saved because of a man or rather group of men who selflessly engaged in a battle, giving the ultimate sacrifice, their lives for one another. Spoiler alert there. But well, the one thing is, you know he lives because of that scene at the beginning of the movie. So that helps a little as you go on. So as we look at today's text, you're like, cool, thanks for the summary of Saving Private Ryan, Pastor. I thought we were at church. We're going to take that approach as we go through this scripture. We're going to look at a key detail from the end of our story to better understand what is happening as we read this scripture together. In verse 14 today, we're reading John 5, 1 through 15, but in verse 14, Jesus finds the man who he had just healed and he says, sin no more. Now, this lets us know that this man had a condition of sin that had separated him from wholeness. It had him broken down and isolated. And so as we read the rest of this story, we know Jesus found him and told him, sin no more. So whatever is happening in this story, it was a result of sin. It's the same phrase that Jesus told the adulterous woman when he saved her in the midst of her sin. So now, knowing that that's where this ends, let us read through this with the eyes of having that glimpse of the end of the story. You can read along with me in your Bible or on the screens behind me to my right and left. But as I mentioned, we'll be in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who healed you and said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this. God, I thank you that this is not just a historical story of something that has happened, but this is an account that points to who you are. God, I thank you that this isn't just about figuring out who you are, but figuring out who you are to us. 
that we get to learn and have a glimpse of the fullness of what happens when your kingdom intersects earth. And God, we pray that you would reveal to us right now what that looks like for us. Not that we are little miniature Jesuses walking around, but that we have the spirit of God in us and we get to enter in and participate with this story. And we thank you for that. And would we hear these words through that lens today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So before we get into, you know, some of the unpacking, there is a potential ditch that we need to address. In verse 14, it says, sin no more so that nothing else or nothing worse may happen to you. It's clear that this man's condition is a result of sin, which should be probably putting off a little bit some radars. And you're like, oh, my gosh, every time I sin, there's just physical ills attached to it. Is that what this is saying? Like, it should cause us to question Um, ask some questions here. Is Jesus making some link between sin and physical ills? Interpreters have struggled with the meaning of this verse for hundreds of years because there's no doubt that Jesus' exhortation here must be connected to his warning. The man's sin and his condition are linked. There's no, you can't tiptoe or choreograph a dance around that. It's the fact of the scripture. So instead of saying, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to read that again. How about we just dig a little deeper and understand it, right? Scripture indicates that some tragedies may be the results of specific sins. And this may be why Jesus has come to this man for healing. There were two, there were two levels at which God wanted to encounter and heal this man. But those with an infirmity may not have necessarily sinned. And those who sin don't necessarily suffer as a consequence. So in this specific instance, yes, we know that these are linked, but you can't look at everybody with an infirmity and say, that's because of your sin. And you can't look at everybody that sins and say, now you're going to be infirmed. Like they are not always, but they can be linked. In Luke 13 and John 9, if you want to study more, they provide Jesus's correction of that sort of thinking, but it's not the main point of today's sermon, so I'll just give you those tools and you can do what you will with them. Suffering, hear me on this, suffering is not an index of an individual's sin. That's, that's the main thing we need to take as we get into this. In no way is this painting a picture that suffering is an index of sin. But having said that, specific suffering may still come from specific sins. There can be relational and physical suffering that come from making bad decisions, doing silly things, sinning. Like, all, like if I have a broken relationship, there can be some suffering in my relational sphere because of said sin. It just, there's natural consequences, right? So the most natural reading of this verse suggests that Jesus is pointing the man to repentance because of this case, in this case, there is a link. So in this story, that's what we're looking at. Sound good? Perfect. I tried to commit to when we preach the word, we don't just gloss past things that may bring up questions or cause challenges, but that we will do our best with whatever knowledge we have and whatever historical academic wisdom can be drawn into it that we'll say, that's challenging. Let's look at that a little more. And so that's what we did. So this encounter records what happens to the man, yet it also reveals us in the story. And so as we go through it, I want to look at it through both of those lenses. This is definitely about Jesus encountering this man at the pool at Bethesda. 
but it also is to teach us something about like how we live a life following Jesus, what it shows us about our own hearts. And there's three specific choices that this man faces that I believe we also face today, and I want to dig into those. So three specific choices or questions that are presented that he has the opportunity to respond to, and I believe we each have the opportunity to respond to as well today. The first question we see asked is simply this, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, I, can, I, I had the similar reaction when I read that, like, duh, right? Yes, I want to be healed. Um, but it's of importance that, like, even though his condition persisted for 38 years, it was not present at birth, yet it was consumed the majority of his life. So this would just be what was familiar to him. How many times are we consumed by something, identified for something, or have, have struggled with something so long that it's actually more scary for it to be gone than to remain in it? <clears throat> How many things are you so familiar with in your life that you know aren't right, aren't of God, but it's so terrifying to turn from them and trust him because you've got some familiar kind of romance in a weird way with whatever it is that has consumed you? Maybe it's your suffering, it's your pain, it's a bad relationship. Who knows what it is? But unfortunately, we make friends with things that are not of God. And sometimes, it's just, if we're honest, it's just too comfortable to remain with those things than to trust God for healing or ask him for healing or, or freedom from those things. <clears throat> so as bad as his situation is, it was familiar. So we can scoff at like, <laughs> of course he wants healed. He's been trying to get into this water. It's like, okay, are you doing that because that's just the only place that invalids can hang out in your society and you're just following the crowd because it seems like the best option and you believe that some angel of the Lord is stirring the water and causing it to bubble up and if you get there first, you get the daily blessing? Is it a cultural thing? Or you, do you believe that I can heal, that God can heal you, that he can do something in your life? This is likely the only condition, like state of life that this man remembers, can recall, can orient his world view around. Now, when Jesus asks him this, he's fully aware of the man's situation, right? He's not sitting there thinking like, oh, man, is this guy doing good? Like living his best life, right? Like he's not questioning that. If we, if we actually realize what it would be like to be a paralyzed man in the ancient Near East when Jesus was around, and you think about all of the physical like challenges of this, this man would have been living in his own filth. His hands would be scarred up and bloodied from trying to drag himself to the water every time it bubbled up, skinned up knuckles, legs that had atrophied, and there was like no muscle left. And he's just trying out of desperation to get to where he can touch anything that will heal him. It was not a secret that this man was in a bad place. Jesus knew what was going on, but he still asked the question to the man, do you want to be healed? Another way he might ask that to us is, do you want to partner with what I want to do in your life? Are you in? Or are you want to stay here? Jesus asked him, do you truly want your situation to change? And the man doesn't answer yes or no. I find this just peculiar. It, like, it causes me to ask a question. His answer reveals his helplessness. He doesn't say, yes, of course I want to be healed, or no, that's scary to me. He says, I have no one to put me in. 
He's talking about his condition and his circumstances. And then he, he reveals his hopelessness. He says, when I'm going down to the water, another always gets there before me. You see, his knee-jerk reaction when Jesus said is, do you want to be healed, is that he's receiving it like, you're not trying hard enough to get the water. If you wanted to be healed, you'd beat those people to the water. You would get there. He's receiving it like, I'm not doing enough. And Jesus is just saying, no, son, do you want to be healed? His response reveals a defensiveness. It questions his performance. Somebody in here can relate to that. When God asks you, do you want to be healed, delivered, freed from something, but our response indicates how we feel we're not performing enough rather than indicating our faith in the one who can heal. Now, Jesus responds with a three-part directive. Would he believe for the impossible, trust Jesus, and act on it? Yes, is the answer. Praise God, or we probably wouldn't be sharing this story today. He demonstrates both faith and obedience by following Jesus' command. His miracle is received through faith, and he walks out of that place in obedience. He raises up, picks up the mat, or his bed, as it is translated here, and, and he walked. And all of these would be impossible for this man without a miracle. All of these would be impossible without a miracle. This miracle was enacted immediately. Not all miracles work out that way. This one did, praise God. And it was not in any way something that was a reward that was earned. There is no way this man could have earned this miracle. It was a gift given by the one who saves, the one who heals. It was not the pool and some man got him there before everybody else. It was an encounter with the living Jesus Christ, the great physician that healed him. So let's bring this to us. In our context, are we aware of our condition? Are we aware of our condition? Are we aware that aside from Jesus saving us and his Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we are eternally separated from God, the one who created us? That Jesus bridged, like, are we aware of this? Are we aware of the things we do, say, think, or relationships we engage in that separate us from the God that created us? Are we aware of our condition? Because the reality is, our culture has multitudes of spiritually blind, lame, and paralyzed people. It, is, it may not be external, like this pool and all of the invalids that would have been there, but it's more of an internal infirmity, if you will, that's all around us. There are aching, broken hearts, souls, minds, thought patterns, emotions, hearts all around us. And that's not meaning just all around us outside of this room. Every one of us in here has something going on that Jesus wants to touch. <clears throat> Yet even in the midst of all of those things, Jesus comes to us individually. He doesn't just say, I, I, I wish you all would get your act together so I can do something here. He says, no, the only way out of whatever you're in is me. Not, can you get it together that's religion. Can you get your life together so that I can come bless you? That's not Jesus. That's not a relationship with him. He comes to us in the midst of our mess, sin, brokenness, internal paralyzation. And he actually lifts us up, heals us, makes us whole. Now, it's admirable that mostly as a society we don't go around looking down on everybody who's broken that's 
like not the, the normal kind of rhetoric or way that we engage people. But we do sometimes fail to address the situation in our own sin and in our own lives. And so we may not walk by the <clears throat> pool of people that have all these issues and be like, oh my gosh, stay away from them. Don't touch them. Don't get around them. Don't talk to them. But we walk around in our own lives completely oblivious or rejecting the fact that we have sin in our own lives. Y'all didn't know you were in for this today, did you? <clears throat> I pray that God would give us eyes to see the brokenness in our hearts and patterns and ways that we live that separate us from him. So that the problem could reveal, be revealed that would lead to a miracle. If you're here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Miracles come after problems. We all have problems with the way we're wired, the way we think, the way we relate, the way we treat other people. We all have problems from the past as well. Some that we had nothing to do with, they just happened to us, and some that we allowed in. That's the nature of living in this world. But I'm telling you that Jesus wants to enter into those things, and he wants to bring healing. But do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? <clears throat> it's not somebody else's fault for not taking you to the water that you're not healed. We make excuses, kind of like this man does, right? Well, this person did this, or this person won't do this, or my pastor won't meet with me, and if he would meet with me, I know I'd get healed. My small group leader was too busy talking about what we were going to eat at life group next week, and if he would have just prayed for me, or if they would have just prayed for me, I would have got healed. It, it's not about the circumstances that are happening around us or somebody else's issue. Do you want to be healed? What will your answer be, and will your obedience and level of faith line up with it? God wants to heal you. So we need to truly ask ourselves, do we want to be healed? And then, where are we looking for it? Can we move to the next point yet, Pastor? Where are you looking to get healed if you do want to be healed? Do we respond like the man that limits God's intervention because of our own understanding and our own knowledge? And the best thing I know is that pool or that watering hole or that drug or that therapy or that relationship or that group of people that accepts me in my sin and doesn't call me to live a life that honors God, whatever it is, what pool are you going to that is not where you're going to encounter Jesus? Where are you looking for this healing? <clears throat> Oftentimes, it just starts with acknowledging our sin and responding in obedience. Like, yeah, I got sin. It doesn't mean I've failed the game of life. It doesn't mean I'm separate from God. It doesn't mean I'm unredeemable. It doesn't mean that I'm just going to get thrown out in the trash. It means welcome to humanity. Now, how are we going to follow Jesus in the midst of it? How do we follow him in the midst of it? So I pray that today, as you read this, you will ask yourself, what pools am I sitting by hoping to be the first one to touch the bubbling water? What places am I looking for healing when the one who heals is right in front of me. 
You can talk to him in your room while you drive. You can talk to him here with another person. He is accessible to you. You don't have to go to some medium to be able to receive and be forgiven what he has for you. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only one who bridges the gap from where we're at to the God who created us. Nobody or no other thing will you go to him to receive healing and freedom. And do you want to be healed? The next question that he was asked or that he had to deal with, and I believe we need to as well, is who is he? This guy that healed, like, who is he? Remember, the, the Jewish leaders were like, who told you this? Now, at the time of his healing, this man is completely unaware of Jesus' identity. He didn't know who he was. When he first speaks to Jesus, he just simply refers to him as sir. Just, just sir. Then when asked by the religious leaders who commanded him to get up and walk, it's recorded that the man doesn't even know who healed him. He doesn't even know who healed him. What the man does know is that he was told, then was able to pick up his mat and walk. He knows that the glory of this individual had shone before him, and he could testify to the power of the reality of what happened in that moment. He didn't have a name for it, but my goodness, he encountered something. He encountered something. He would have known that his healing came from obedience to this one that was giving him direction. He may not have had a name, but he knew he was told to do something. He did it, and he was healed. So he knew there was something going on there. Jesus may come to us, and often does, even before we know it's him. We may not know it's him working. We may not know it's him working in our circumstances. You may have ended up around Jesus' people before you wanted anything to do with Jesus. And then he worked in your life, and you could not deny the fact that faith in him and obedience to him changes lives. You may not be able to say, oh, yeah, that's clearly the Lord. No, because you haven't been discipled yet. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to encounter you and work in your life. Praise God for that, that we don't have to reach some level of knowledge before Jesus gets into our lives and starts to heal things. Praise him for that. Now, this man's revelation happens in verse 14 when they reconnect in the temple. Jesus reveals himself to the man, knowing the man's prior sin. He proclaims, see, you're well. See, you're well. It worked. Look at you now. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, Jesus is not only the man's healer, but who makes him well and whole. Yes, physical healing was a part of this, and it was an important part, but there is a wholeness that happens when we encounter Jesus, not just addressing our physical circumstances. This man's life was changed. He was freed. His, the way that he could even relate in society changed. Everything about his life changed. He received abundant life through following the commands of Jesus, even when he didn't know exactly who he was. So if you were asked this question, how would you answer it? To you, in your personal life, is Jesus sir or is he your homeboy? I always love when I say something like that and there's more than a couple people in the room because I'm sure to get a few different reactions. One is, who would ever see Jesus as a homeboy? And the other is just quiet because this conviction comes upon them that that's how they've been treating him. So I don't just ask that, like, as a funny introduction. It's not, like, equal to the Saving Private Ryan thing. Let's, you know, 
grease the wheels and get this sermon going. But how do you refer to Jesus? How do you treat him? How do you interact with him? As sir, as the one who came to earth to see your lives and your sins like redeemed to give you right standing with the God who created you? Or somebody that if you need something, you can pray to him? That cabana boy that you want to go get you your meal or bring you another towel because you just got out of the pool. And so you only go to him when you need something instead of treating him with the honor and glory that he deserves because of what he's done for each one of us. Now, I'm the first to recognize that different parts of different days, like, that can be a struggle. I'm not saying don't go to Jesus with your needs. He cares about them. But if he's only your genie in a bottle and he's not your Lord and Savior, you got it twisted. You're missing out on who he really is and the power that saves and redeems and restores relationships and bodies and a relationship with a creator who made you and loves you. If you don't see the full spectrum of who he is, you miss out on who he is in your life and what he can do. Is he just a man or is he the Messiah? Is he just some historical figure or is he God in a body that came to earth to live the life that we couldn't live and gave his life as a sacrifice? Raising three days later, proving he was the son of God who he said he was conquering sin, hell, and Satan, and giving us the opportunity for eternity with our creator. Which one is he? Or is he just some really cool teacher, some rabbi? Is he somebody that you will listen to and follow his directions? That's what it comes down to. Are you like, gosh, this is a really cool story to learn? Or are you like, man, this is the guy. This is King Jesus, and I want to follow him. I want to receive his grace. I want him to save me from the poor leadership of myself that I have and give me the perfect, like, all-knowing, all-powerful leadership that he offers as Lord and Savior of my life. Do we just turn to him when we're in sin or in need? Or do we celebrate with him, give him glory when things go well? Do we, do we invite him into all of those parts of our lives? we can't lose the facets of our miracle-working Savior just because there are other means available to us. See, we live in an age where God has given knowledge and wisdom to humans to come up with some amazing things. When I was in high school, I didn't have a supercomputer in my pocket. I do now. Like, a lot of things have changed. Innovation, technology, medicine, all of these things And what I am not saying is that these things are bad. What I am saying is they are not substitutes for Jesus. So you can go and utilize medication and doctors and hospitals and counseling and physical therapy and support groups. And these can all be great things. They are all sufficient things to help us, but they are not sufficient things to make us whole. They are not sufficient to make us whole when it comes to sin and healing in our souls. They can help our circumstances, but they don't steward our souls. So we got to put things in the right place. We can't turn to those things for ultimate healing and hope. But gosh, I praise God for them in the place that they do hold in the tension of living a life after Jesus. Do not place your faith, faith, hope, and trust in those things alone. They can help you, but they won't make you whole. It won't make you whole. This should build our faith and root our perspective in the person of Jesus and the fact that he can heal, redeem, and restore 
It's his presence and his word that perform miracles, not the innovation around us, as miraculous as some of these things may seem. He is not only our Savior, and you'll hear this every week, he is also our Lord. He has to be both. He has to be both. And the final question that this man had to wrestle with, and I believe we do too today, is this. Who will you tell? Who will you tell? Unlike other encounters where the receiver of the miracle goes to tell their fellow villagers, this man goes to the Jews to declare it was Jesus who healed him. He didn't just go tell his friends and family. He told those who opposed Jesus, those who were mad that he was healing on the Sabbath and telling people to do things they shouldn't do. Now, we don't know if this was to like report that Jesus told him to do this and absolve himself of any wrongdoing or dissonance from the Jewish law at that time, you know, because they came after him first. Or if it was like, hey, y'all, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Get ready. Buckle up. We don't know. We don't know which one. But oftentimes, like, we won't have all the answers, but we're still called to go tell somebody. We won't know everything about it or the specifics of how something happened, but we know that when I walk, my ankle doesn't hurt anymore. We know that when I see somebody, I now have peace instead of angst because God led me to forgive them. You see what I'm saying? We don't always know how it happened, but we know our circumstances have changed, and we have to tell somebody about it. We have to tell somebody about it. Do you have the courage to immediately declare God's goodness and what has happened in your life when you encounter him, when he does something, when he changes something, heals something in you. And it may be easier or may have been easier for this man to tell his friends, but he went and he declared Jesus to the most challenging of relationships in his midst. I'm encouraged by this because as I said last week, we live in the like, most perfect, comfortable place to be a Christian in the Northwest, right? Like everybody here loves Jesus, no issues with it. Everyone wants to submit to authority and leadership. They don't want to make their own truth and everything else. And so talking to people about what we believe and who we know saves is just super easy, right? It may not be the easiest people to go to, yet we're called to go to everybody because Jesus gave his life for every person. Your professor, right? Your family members that don't believe. Who is it in your life that you're like, that's the hardest ones to go to. I'll go there after I'm super sanctified instead of right now. While God's just burning this thing inside of you because he's changed you and it's fresh. And you have passion and hope bubbling out of you. Now is the time to go and tell. Don't wait till you think you have it figured out because until Jesus comes back again, you won't. You're gonna be, it's going to be too late if you wait. That was good. So who will we tell and how will we tell our story? Who and how? Will the kind of words, or will we tell of the kind words of a peer in AA to be the hero of our story? I was in a support group and this person said something so encouraging to me and it just completely saved my life. Is that the hero of our story? Or will the Jesus who saved your life prevent, or provided a way out of darkness and met you in a deep moment of despair with a word of promise and hope be the hero of your story? 
Now, somebody could have said something very encouraging in a support group, in AA or something. I'm not knocking that, but that's not the hero who led you there in the first place, who provided that relationship and the means to be a part of that group, who saved you when you may have taken your own life instead of been in that meeting to even be there to hear that. It's Jesus that saves, and it's him that is the hero of your story. How will you tell your story? Will you sanitize it to make it more palatable for the people around you and what you think they're willing to hear? Or will you be bold and tell them of a Jesus who saves? How will you tell your story? Will your hard work and your personal discipline and all-around awesomeness be the hero of your story? Will that be what you shout from the rooftops? Or will the Jesus who saves, strengthens, imparts, provides, and delivers be the hero of your story? It can't be both. It can't be both. How will you tell your story? Do I need to keep on going? Will you herald that your boundaries from fellow men were the hero of your story? I read this book, Pastor. I set up great boundaries, and I protected myself. Will that be the hero of your story? Or will the Jesus who saves, you see a pattern here, who crushes the serpent's head, who empowers us to fight the battle that is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness that are all around us, will that be the story you tell? Will that be who sits at the seat of hero in your story? How will you tell your story? Who? We covered that. Everybody. How? Jesus is the hero. Jesus saves. Not your disciplined circumstances or advice from another human. Now, people can lead you to Jesus, but they aren't your Jesus. Our answers to these questions, do you want to be healed? Who is he? Who will we tell? Reveal the end of our story, praise God. They reveal the end of our story. The most important of these being, where will your story end? Will it end with eternal life? Being united with Jesus forever? Will it unfold with life abundantly? You see, the answers to these things are important. When we encounter the opportunity to make a choice or a decision about who and how we'll tell our story, how we interact with Jesus, is he Lord and Savior or homeboy? Like, what, how do we interact with him? These things matter. They matter as to how we see him. and how, Because that's what brings us the certainty in our redemption, in the fact that we're saved, that we can find joy in our salvation, if we, if we have this little mini Jesus in our lives, then it's not as monumental to us as it should be to what he's done for us. This story is good news, and it's too good not to share. You see, from this particular scripture, we learn that God sometimes performs miracles to deliver people from the consequences of their sins. And, in essence, this is what God has done in raising Jesus from the dead. Because it saves us from our sins. As much as this story is about this case study of this paralyzed man and everything we can like learn there, ultimately, family, this points to the fact that Jesus came and gave his life to save us from our sins. And he says to you today, go and sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. This world wants to come in and steal, kill, and destroy and separate you from the hope that you have, from the life abundantly following Jesus that is available to you. Go and sin no more. Does that mean be perfect or you just throw it, throw it all out with the trash? No. But we should approach life with a heart posture of, I don't desire to sin because I desire more of Jesus. 
Not, I have to be perfect to earn Jesus, but my heart posture says, that is no longer attractive. And if it is right now, God, would you make that no longer attractive? Would you heal that in me so that I can fully follow you and all you have for me? All that you have for me. This is a miracle when God does this in our lives. This paralyzed man's life changed forever. Not just because of his newfound mobility. Worship team, you can come back up. But also because of the freedom he experienced through an encounter with Jesus. He was wholly healed. Not just physically. His life was changed in the now and in the forever. Praise God for that. It wasn't just like, oh, you can walk. You don't have to like live in your own filth. It was like, no, your soul is redeemed. You are healed. You are freed. You have new life and life abundantly. And we can't help but make God known when we receive a miracle like this. Maybe you're in here today and you're saying, I didn't come in with some broken leg or some physical ailment. How am I supposed to see a miracle in my life? Well, Where's their sin? Where's their patterns of brokenness? Where's their things that's separating you from the fullness of what God has for you? Ask them to heal it and see a miracle. Maybe it's that I believe in God, but this whole lordship thing is really costly and I haven't submitted to that yet. God, will you heal that perspective in me? Will you draw me to you? Will you be my Lord and Savior? There's your miracle. Jesus saves. He wants to be the hero of your story. He wants a relationship with you. How will you, we, respond? How will you respond? You have a choice. You have a choice. Will you receive his miracle for you? Will you receive his salvation? New life in him. His way that is so much better than our way. And then, will you see how that affects the world around you? Will you see how that affects the world around you? Will you get up from that spiritual slumber, like this paralyzed man, pick up your proverbial bed, and go tell somebody? I feel as we're closing up, like God's just really highlighting this idea of a spiritual slumber. Like, paralyzed in our analysis and trying to figure everything out so we know what to do from here. And I believe God wants to tell you, son, daughter, wake up. Get out of that spiritual slumber. You are healed. You are good with me. Give your life to me and then go tell somebody about it. Go tell somebody about it. So as we close, I just want to give you a simple opportunity to respond. Are you willing today to say yes to King Jesus? Not to say, yes, I believe in God. That... That's good, that's a good start, but the enemy believes in him too. We are to differentiate ourselves from the ways of the world. And it means he gets to call the shots. He's king, he's in charge. Are you willing to live that way, make that decision, and then go and tell with Jesus in the hero seat of your story? And if you are, I just want you to raise your hand as I pray. Yes, I receive that Jesus is my king. He's in charge, he's calling the shots. He gets all of me, not just the parts that are sanitized and I'm ready to present to the world, but he gets all of me. And it's only through me completely surrendering all of those things that he can heal and will do a miracle in my life. So God, I thank you that you are king. I thank you that it's not about something that we have to earn, 
that it's not about us just presenting our best, but it's allowing you to come inside of us through the power of your spirit and transform us. God, would our lives be indicative of following you, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord, as King Jesus, who is in charge and who we live wholly for. I pray that you would do a miracle in healing our hearts and our souls right now in here, God, so that we could more faithfully follow you. I thank you for what you're doing in this room, and I thank you for what you're going to do coming out of this room. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and worship.